I'm very grateful to Anna for leading for us here this evening. Anna spent a wee bit of time in casualty this afternoon after a a domestic accident, so I'm glad that things weren't as bad as they might have been, and she's able to be here to lead us this evening. I'm going to be reading for us just now, so if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 27, it's on page 28 there in the, the Bible in the pew. When we're in these narrative passages in the Old Testament, we often find that we have to read probably a little bit more than we, we might read in some other parts of God's Word. Uh, the, the story just unfolds a, a little bit more gently and at a slower pace. So we're going to read 40 verses here. So be patient and bear with me as I read. Genesis 27 verses 1 to 40. Jacob gets Isaac's blessing. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game. And prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully. Do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies." Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I'd appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? 
The Lord, your God, gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so that I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's riches an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. And those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac had finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, sit up. And eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightfully named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you, and I've made all his relatives his servants, and I've sustained him with grain and new wine. What can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches, away from the dew of heaven above. You'll live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you'll throw his yoke from off your neck. This is the word of God. 
Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity with which it shows us the whole of our lives before you. Thank you for all that it teaches us about ourselves, about our human nature. But above all, Father God, we thank you for what your word teaches us about you. Lord, come just now, teach us about ourselves, but above all, teach us more of who you are and how you deal graciously with us. Amen. I could tell when I first met her that she'd be no good for him. I could see problems long before they were married. I never trusted him. There was something about him. More than a few times in pastoral ministry, I've had parents open up to me and tell me of their heartbreak as they look at their son's marriage or at their daughter's marriage and how it's breaking their heart. This is not what they had hoped for, for their son or for their daughter. Isaac and Rebecca are heartbroken about Esau's marriage. We're told that in the last couple of verses of chapter 26. Look back to the last couple of verses there in chapter 26. Esau married Judith, daughter of Beri the Hittite, and also Basmath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Those verses feel like a bit of an intrusion, actually, when you read the story the whole way through. Because in chapter 26, we've learned a lot about Isaac and his dealings with Abimelech and all the ways in which God has blessed him. And now in chapter 27, we're going to look at this dramatic account of how God uh, allows Jacob to receive his father's blessing. This stuff about Esau marrying these couple of Hittite girls seems pretty irrelevant. But it's far from irrelevant to a parent when their son or their daughter marries the wrong person. And in this story, it proves to be far from irrelevant that Esau marries these Hittite women. These women were Canaanites. In chapter 24, we saw how dead set Abraham was on ensuring that no son of his would marry a Canaanite. He makes his servant swear to the Lord that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but will go to my country, to my own relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. Whatever you do, don't let Isaac marry a Canaanite. Abraham knew, you see, that his family carried God's promise, and he wanted to bear that in mind in every one of his dealings. Whenever Esau married these Canaanites, he really confirmed everything that we surmised about him last week in chapter 25. The blessings of God aren't important to Esau. He doesn't value God's promises. He doesn't care 
if he ends up in the heart of what God's doing or not. He doesn't, in short, have the faith of his grandfather Isaac, or sorry, Abraham. And that's a vital backdrop now as we come to chapter 27. Let's look together at this chapter. We'll move pretty quickly through it here this evening. In verse 1, we discover that Isaac's old. I don't know what age you think a person qualifies to be called old. I think it depends what age you are yourself before you start to to talk about a person being old. He's probably about 100, actually. So I think even most of us would, would agree that he qualifies as old. And we're told here that his eyes are weak. He can't see. As so often in, in the biblical narratives, that's more than an optician's opinion. This physical blindness serves as a metaphor for his spiritual blindness. Just as Isaac can't see his hand when he waves it before his eyes, he can't see what God is doing right in front of his nose. He can't see what God's doing even in his own family. Can't see, won't see, it's hard to tell. Both last week, as we looked at chapter 25 together, and two weeks ago, when Monty looked at chapter 26 with you, we agreed that Isaac's family is dysfunctional. And that comes across more strongly than ever in this chapter. The narrator uses a brilliant literary technique. Although there are four characters in this chapter, there's only ever two of them on stage at one time. And the idea that we get is that nobody's actually on the same page. There is no agreement among these people in this family. There's, there's only room for working behind the scenes, for deception, for all sorts of scheming and secrecy. All honesty is gone. So the first of these dialogues, these meeting of two people, happens in verses 1 to 4 between Isaac and his oldest son Esau. Isaac wants Esau to give him some tasty food, and in turn he wants to pass on his blessing to his eldest son. Now one thing we're going to notice pretty quickly in this chapter, if you're looking to find who the goodies and the baddies are in this chapter, it's not going to work. All four of these characters are equally, equally awful, really. Equally to blame for this, this awful thing that happens here. Look, look first of all at Isaac. What's he playing at for a start? Maybe he doesn't know about that incident that we thought about last week where Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he doesn't know. But he does know about God's prediction regarding his two sons. We noticed last week in chapter 25, verse 23, God predicted that the older would serve the younger. Why on earth is Isaac then trying to pass on his blessing to the older son? It's a blatant act of disobedience. Isaac is to blame for what's going on in this chapter. Remember, if you add to that what we said a moment ago, Esau's married these two Canaanite women. He's shown that he clearly doesn't value the promises of God. He's indifferent to God's blessing. There's no way on earth in these circumstances that Isaac should be passing on the blessing of Abraham to his elder son Esau. 
Isaac's to blame, but so is Esau. Had he not sworn his birthright to Jacob? Does his word mean nothing? Why is he appearing before his father, ready to receive the very thing that he's only recently given to his brother? Esau is to blame for his part in this scheming too. Well, this first dialogue, Isaac with Esau, has happened in secret, and that should not have been. If this blessing in the family was to be transferred from the father to the son, it should have happened in public. And you can tell that neither of these men have the courage of their convictions as they try to do this in secret. They think they've done this in secret. But verse 5 tells us otherwise. Rebecca, we're told, was listening. Do you see how this adds to the, the, the sense of breakdown of family communication? Father and son are scheming in secret. Mother is, is listening in at the door. We're, we're at eavesdropping now. Eavesdropping within the family. And as soon as she hears of this, Rebecca develops a counter plan to foil her husband. She calls Jacob, tells him what's been happening. And here we have our second dialogue. She explains her plan. You'll impersonate Esau, and then that way you'll get the blessing that your father intends to give him. We said a moment ago that the four are equally to blame. Well, Rebecca's to blame. She's eavesdropping. She violates Isaac's privacy, and she schemes and plots against him. Jacob, too, is to blame for that same deceptive nature, that scheming, and showing no desire at all. There's no mention of God in this. Nobody is looking to see how God would work this out in this family. We get a bit of an insight into Jacob's character at this point in his life when we look at his response to his mother's plan. Look at verse 11. He hesitates. And for just a moment, we start to think maybe there's some redeeming feature in Jacob. He's hesitating when he hears his mother's dodgy plan. But then we learn why he's hesitating. He doesn't hesitate because he thinks the plan's wrong. He only hesitates in case he might be caught. He's only worried about the consequences. Jacob is not in any way an appealing character at this point in the story. This, this passage is part of a greater series in which we're going to be looking together at the life of Jacob. Why on earth would we waste our time studying the life of, of this guy? This isn't what we want in our biblical heroes. This isn't the kind of model that we can follow. There's nothing here to hold up as a good example to a congregation of God's people. At first, I found Jacob's character hugely frustrating. But the more I've spent time in these passages and, and thinking on this, I've found Jacob's moral weakness something of an encouragement in the end. You see, this man here, this man who one day will wrestle with God, at this point in his life isn't even willing to wrestle with his mum or his own conscience. 
This man who's one day going to be renamed Israel to become a father of his people. At this stage, well, he's as bent and as crooked as a three-pound note. This is where God starts. These are the kind of people among whom God begins his work. You see, friends, the truth is that in the kingdom of God, lepers can change their spots. People can change. I can change. And so can you. Friends, this message of transformation, it's right at the heart of the gospel. We, says Paul, are new creations. The old, whatever that old is, is is gone. And a new has come. Transformation is the goal of our discipleship. For too long, I think, we have been and our churches have been content with a brand of Christianity that's given up on transformation. We meet together, we meet in our home groups, and we talk among ourselves, and we say, yes, I I know what Jesus calls us to, but I can't change. That's just the way I am. And among ourselves, we, we maybe condone that kind of line of thinking. And maybe our our church leadership is complicit with us and we all agree that, yes, change would be great, but it's not very realistic. Friends, that kind of thinking is unbiblical. It's misguided. Time and time again on the pages of God's Word, we find people who really change. And we're going to discover that as we go with Jacob. We're going to discover that this man will change. It won't happen overnight. It won't happen by his own merits or his own efforts, but by the grace of God and through a lifetime, he will be transformed. That is our prayer and our expectation that we too will be transformed. We've looked at the first two of these dialogues, Isaac with Esau, Rebekah with Jacob. By the time we get down to verse 18, we're into the third of the seven dialogues between members of this divided family. Finally, it's time for Jacob to go before Isaac to see if he can pull the wool over his father's eyes as easily as he's pulled the sheepskins onto his arms and onto his neck. Isaac keeps his greeting short. Uh, By the way, this passage, the skill of the narrative here is just incredible. Isaac keeps his greeting as short as he can. He says, my father. Why is that? He doesn't want to speak too much because his dad recognizes his voice. The less words he speaks, the less chance of giving himself away. Blind Isaac, he he hears that voice out there. He recognizes that it's the voice of one of his sons, but he's not sure which. Yes, my son, who is it? And so Jacob takes advantage of his father's blindness, and he lies to him. He says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of the game so that you may give me your blessing. 
And again, with a brilliant piece of writing, the narrator ups the tension here. He lets us see that Jacob, or that, that Isaac, sorry, is suspicious. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly? My son, the Lord gave me success, Jacob replies. As this goes on, our picture of Jacob just, just goes from bad to worse. He's a liar. He'll lie to his own blind dad. His name, Jacob, literally means he grasps the heel, but figuratively it means deceiver, and he's well named. He's a liar. But he's the worst kind of liar because he brings God's name into his lies. He, he blasphemes. He's happy to take God's name in vain. He says, the Lord your God give me success. But there's another thing to notice here. Jacob says, the Lord, your God. God isn't Jacob's God at this point in his life. Not in any way that he owns a real living relationship with God. Like so many children who grow up in the family of faith, he hasn't yet taken for himself the faith of his parents. We're going to have to wait. But if we wait, we'll see a time when Jacob will call God my God. We noticed at the start of this chapter that Isaac was blind and we realized that his, his physical blindness spoke of a, a spiritual blindness. Well, now in this incident with Jacob, we're going to discover that it's not only his sight that's useless, all five of his senses in a wonderful way proved to be, to be fallible and to be useless to us, him in these verses. All five of them let him down. He can't see Jacob before him, so his sights let him down. The sound of Jacob's voice has made him suspicious, but he can't rely fully on a sense of hearing to distinguish between one son and the next. But now, look at verse 21. He resorts to a sense of touch. Come near me so that I can touch you, my son, to know whether or not you're really Esau or not. Now, Esau's hairy like a Brillo pad. We noticed that last week. That was something was said of him when he was born. Isaac knows that all he has to do is touch and he'll know which of his sons it is. But thanks here to Rebecca's clever disguise, Isaac mistakes these goat skins on Jacob's arms for the rough skin of Esau. So Isaac's sense of touch lets him down too. The deception continues until they get to a point that Isaac's been longing for. My son, bring me the food. Just bring me the food. That's what I'm waiting for. What about Isaac's sense of taste? Will he be able to distinguish, you know the Pepsi challenge? Can you tell one brand of Coke from another? Is he going to be able to tell Esau's stew from the one that Rebecca has made for him? Can he rely on his sense of taste? Will it be reliable? Apparently not. He eats and he drinks without comment. And with those first four of his senses having let him down, he draws his son close to him, 
He kisses him and he smells him. The smell is the smell of Esau. That confirms it. Isaac is ready to give his blessing. He's relied on his five natural faculties and they've all let him down. Friends, whenever we choose to act in disobedience to the revealed will of God, all common sense and all other faculties will let us down. In fact, in God's word, we see time and time again that God often is involved himself in the deceiving of those who rely on their natural faculties. We need to do the thing that that Isaac wasn't willing to do. We need to trust and act on the revealed will of God. Just look here at the, the blessing that Isaac gives when he finally gives it. Now, the first part, it struck me, didn't sound too flattering to our modern urban ears. Son, you smell like a field that the Lord has blessed. When you're driving along through the countryside with an open window and people look suspiciously around the car, there's a little bit of that here. That's what what Isaac is saying. Son, you smell like a field blessed of the Lord. But look at the glory of what he passes on to his son in this blessing. May God give you heaven's dew and of earth's riches an abundance of grain and of wine. Son, have everything. Have all the material blessings you could ever imagine. But look at verse 29. Have all the relational blessings a person could ever dream of. May nations bow down to you, people bow down before you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. And may those who bless you be blessed. Friends, don't let the irony of what's happening here be lost on you. Everything that Isaac is is praying as a blessing on his son, he's praying for Esau. He's praying it for the son he favors, the son he loves. But because God is a sovereign God, those blessings are falling instead on Jacob, the one whom God has chosen to receive his blessing. Reading that passage, I guess I can't help but see that God has a sense of humor, that he'll just bypass human scheming, leave people looking silly. God really is control in control after all. Our passage will finish tonight as we look for a few minutes at the fourth dialogue between Isaac and Esau. Not surprisingly, Jacob makes himself scarce as soon as the words of those blessings have fallen. I can understand that. I think if I were in his shoes, I'd have done the same. Jacob disappears. Esau returns from the hunting, ready to receive his father's blessing. And not surprisingly, his arrival confuses his dad. Who are you? Esau makes himself known, and the blood drains from Isaac's face. But I've already eaten, 
I've already given the blessing to someone else. I can't take my words back. The blessing stands. He will be blessed. We have to understand a little of the historical context here. That family blessing, although it was only spoken verbally, it can't be altered. It carries the same weight in that culture as a, a legally enforced will would have in ours. So Isaac's stating the obvious in a sense, but maybe he's stating something a wee bit more. Maybe this is the moment when Isaac realizes that he's been going against God and that he's failed. He realizes that Jacob's been blessed, as God always said it would be. Maybe Isaac's learning that you can try to foil God in his will, but you never succeed. It's impossible, I feel, not to, not to have some sense of, of pity for Isaac at this point. He cries out, bless me too, Father. Isaac again explains that his blessings are reversible. And again, ironically, it's the sheer scale of the blessings that he called down on Jacob that that now leaves no room for him to bless his favorite son, Isaac. Or sorry, Esau. Esau strikes me as a bit of an opportunist. If he can't have the blessing, he'll take a blessing, any blessing that's going. Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too. So in the end, Isaac blesses Esau. And really it has the feel of a dad doing the best he can in the circumstances for his son. But his blessing only shows how, how the real blessing's already gone. If you cast your eye across to Jacob's blessing in verses 28 and 29, you'll see how Jacob's gain has been Esau's loss. Isaac blessed Jacob with heaven's dew and earth's riches. Esau, on the other hand, he's told that he's going to live away from earth's riches, away from the Jew of heaven above. Isaac's blessed Jacob, telling him to be Lord over his brothers. And Esau hears only the counter blessing. You'll serve your brother. Isaac's got an awful lot wrong in his dealings with his family and his parenting these two boys, but at least he's got this right. Finally, he realizes God's blessing has fallen on Jacob. It will not fall on Esau. We're finished looking at this passage in God's word this evening. What on earth can you say when you come to the end of a passage like that where all the characters show themselves to be manipulative, scheming, deceptive, compromised. What a mess. Isaac's depended on his fallible senses. He lacks any spiritual conviction. Rebecca acts only in manipulation and deception. Jacob deceives and blasphemes. This family, we're told here in God's word, with all this mix of faith and of failure, 
is fulfilling God's plans for humankind. It's quite staggering when you think about it. When I first looked at this passage, I I just felt hopeless. But the longer I spent with it and the more I kept my mind open to God's word, it filled me. There's a, a wonderful message of hope here. A wonderful message of hope for the church and for those who follow Jesus Christ. You see, the breaking in of the kingdom of God doesn't depend on our goodness. It doesn't depend on you having a straight morality or on me. It doesn't depend on us having pure motives. Friends, if God waited for a good church to do as well, he'd be waiting still. If he waited for the time when you and I were perfect, above reproach, pure, he'd be waiting still. And his work in the world would pass us by. The truth is that God works his salvation through people like Isaac and like Rebekah and like Esau and like Jacob and like you and like me. Let's thank him for that. Let's pray. Father God, when we read in your word these accounts of your people, we're repelled. We see nothing attractive or winsome in them. But then, Lord, slowly the light of your word shines on our own hearts and we discover ourselves in all of this. We discover ourselves blind with Isaac. We discover ourselves impulsive and driven by desire like Esau. We discover ourselves scheming like Rebecca and deceptive like Jacob. Lord, we see here our own hearts coming under the light of your word. But Lord, we thank you for the glory of this message that you don't give up on us despite all of this. We thank you that while we're still sinners, you move towards us. You call us to you. You promise to take the dirt of our lives and wash it clean. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for your grace. We beg for more of it. Lord, give us your grace in our lives. Like Jacob, the deceiver, take us. And over the weeks and months and years ahead, slowly make something of us. Lord, don't send us from this place until you've blessed us. 
Amen.